Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Shut the fuck up. We are not done talking yet. I'm Sharla. And I'm Danielle. Together, we will be discussing current events, pop culture, writing, books, movies, and women's lives. We are smart, funny, and occasionally profane. Thanks for listening. See you on the other side. Yes, hello, everybody, and welcome to our latest episode of Shut the Fuck Up, We Are Not Done Talking Yet. Today, we have a special guest named Heather Atherton. Hello, Heather. Hello, Sharla. Hello, Danielle. Hi, Heather. I'm so glad to have you today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Welcome to the show. We are very happy to have you here. I have had you on my list since March of last, of this year, when we first Mm -hmm. met. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. It finally happened. It's great. Now tell us where you are calling from. I am calling in from the Tonka Verde Ranch, which is located just outside of Tucson, Arizona. And why are you there? So I work for a school called the Madeline Island School of the Arts. Our headquarters is on Madeline Island, which is a small island at the very northern tip of Wisconsin. But we have two other locations, one being the ranch, and the other one being where I met lovely Sharla in Santa Fe, New Mexico, at the downtown Hilton there. And we offer workshops for adults. They last about a week. And they are in quilting, painting, writing, and photography. Oh yes, the quilting ones are so fun to go leave our writing workshop where we're struggling with words and sentences and go visit the quilters. They've got all this incredibly beautiful material. They're just having a ball. I think oh, we all are. feel like we want to jump ship and just like, <laughs> like, can I sign up for the quilt like right now, even though I don't even sew? <laughs> I, I feel the same way sometimes. I'm like, you know, when I retire, I'm going to be a quilter because those ladies know how to have fun. They are just a a funny group. I love them. Yeah. Stitch and bitch. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) Their teacher comes all the way from Australia, or at least one of them. Yeah, that's right. One of them does. Mm -hmm. She's fabulous. They do kind of like, it's kind of like mosaics, which I do, because there's like all these little pieces of things that you put together to make one big thing. Yeah, exactly. You could jump right in. No problem. Except that I honestly, sewing gives me a headache. <laughs> okay, then maybe. Other not. than that. <laughs> well, so, so tell us a little about yourself before we get going. All right. Well, I was, how far back? Let's see. I was born in Illinois, seven pounds, 14 ounces. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, When I was 19 years old, I moved up to northern Wisconsin, where I lived for 20 years. Um, Had my daughter there, went to college there, uh, made a lovely life up in the Northwoods. When my daughter, Ayla, went off to college, I decided to switch my life around. I had always wanted to live in a big city at some point, and she did not. She's a small town gal. So uh, when she graduated from high school and flew the coop, I did as well. So I now live in the northernmost neighborhood in Chicago. It's called Rogers Park. And when I'm not working as the director of Southwest Student Services for MISA, I am a dog walker in Chicago. 
Yes. Now it's yes. coming back to me now. I knew you had yes. this other interesting occupation. I do. It's a great balance because, you know, I walk 10 miles a day and wear yoga pants and listen to podcasts. Like, shut the <laughs> fuck up. We're not done talking yet. And then Yay. I get to dress up in my pretty office clothes and, and hang out with artists and take care of them in the winter. I love it. All right, I have a question. How many yes. dogs do you walk at one time and what kind is your favorite? Okay, so I work for a woman um, named Kaz and she owns the Canine School of Walk in Rogers Park. And I know it's the best name. And so I, we usually walk one to two dogs at a time. I'm not one of those, you know, you think about an urban dog walker, they've got 10, 12 dogs going on. I don't do that. So I just have one or two a day or one or two dogs at a time. I do anywhere from six to 10 walks a day. And I ride my 1977 Malaguti motorbike from walk to walk because I'm all within one neighborhood. So it's two miles is the longest drive I have. Um, so it's, it's a great job. You have to go outside no matter yeah. the weather. You get sun, you get exercise. Yeah. My favorite dog. Well, that's hard because they're also great. But one of my favorites is Frida. She is a sheepdog poodle mix. She probably weighs more than me, um, <laughs> but she's super sweet and really timid and walks really slow right next to me. And I get the most comments from other people when I'm walking her, like, is she walking you or are you walking her? That kind of stuff. Um, but we stop and have snuggle and hug time while we wait for the crosswalk. And she's just, she's a gem. Love That's her. so sweet. That's yeah. nice. You have like your favorites. Okay. Well, I know that you and Charla met at the, um, the school that I'm already forgetting the name of. I'm so sorry. That's okay. You can call it Misa. Misa. Yeah. And um, you also sent us a piece of writing that we both really enjoyed. And um, why don't you tell us how it came about that you wrote it? Okay, great. So one of the many podcasts that I listen to, other than STFU, is <laughs> The Moth. And I love The oh, Moth stories. I love their platform. I love what they do. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I was driving my daughter. It was Christmas last year. And my daughter and her fiance have a snake. And so I ha I'm a grandma. I have a grand snake. It's weird. Exciting. Uh huh. So they were coming home for Christmas and they couldn't fly with the snake. You know, they, the movie ruined that. No snakes on the plane. So I drove the 11 hours to Pennsylvania, picked them up, drove them home, and then took them back home and drove back. So I had, I was binge listening to the moth and those stories always make you kind of think about your own stories. And so I had this idea and, and then I'm, I'm encountering these wonderful writers through Misa, like Shyla, who are just writing amazing things. And so I thought I'd take a stab at it and maybe end up at the moth. I, I love a stage. I love acting and directing. So it's a little bit of a blend of, of performance and writing. Um, so I, I wrote this up, and then when I was out in Santa Fe with Charlotte's class, they kindly read over it for me and provided some feedback. 
So it was, it was a really fun thing to do. I've, I have not written like this before. Mm -hmm. Well, the story was so great. It was so great. And is, and I can't wait to hear you read it out loud. It was hilarious and wonderful, even in print. And so, yeah, I think what we do is we'll just ask you to read it. Um, which is something I think we've only done once before. And we ought to try to remember when we interview our writer friends to make sure they read a passage of something that they've written. Yeah. Right. It's a very good idea. So you can be our second person. Yeah. And we'll try to remember going forward to do this again. But yeah, so please share this piece. Um, we don't, I don't think it needs any other introduction. And then when you're finished, then we can discuss in more detail. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Well, the title is Placentus Abruptus. <laughs> I tend to hang on to things far longer than I should. For instance, I have a pair of airwalks from high school. They marked the end of my pseudo hippie, slightly grunge phase and the beginning of my pseudo skater punk primus stage. The soles have a cool diamond plating pattern and they're a solder on the top from my brief stint working in a factory that made circuit boards. Later in life, after my divorce, when I found myself a single mother and homeowner, they were my mowing shoes or more aptly described as the shoes I am most likely to whine in. But I didn't come here to talk about my 25-year-old shoes. I came here to talk about placenta. Specifically, my daughter's placenta. You see, when she was born, I was entrenched in a persistent hippie phase, which means I either had to dry, encapsulate, and swallow placenta pills, plant that sucker under a tree, or have some sort of very hippie, slightly pagan ritual with a campfire and essential oils. Well, the thought of swallowing placenta pills turned my stomach. I feared planting it under a tree, lest the tree die, proving myself a life-giving failure. So I landed on the ritual. So I kept the damn placenta. In its original ice cream bucket, it came home from the hospital room. Not only did I keep it, it moved around with me. It lived in the freezers of three rental homes, a straw bale house that didn't have running water or electricity, a wood shop, where it shared space with a companion placenta, my best friend's sons to be exact, the last home my ex-husband and I shared, the apartment we stayed at while our home was being renovated and where he decided to leave me, and finally, a large house I had bought overlooking Lake Superior that was big enough for my at-the-time boyfriend and his two placentaless children. For 18 years, this placenta was my constant companion. Part of the reason it stayed with me for so long was my desire to have the placenta releasing happen at a significant moment. Her first birthday, then her fifth, then her 10th, maybe when she got her first period. But all these events came and went and the placenta remained. A bigger part of the reason was that subconsciously I didn't want to let it go. Holding on to it meant holding on to her. But my daughter had moved over a thousand miles away to go to college, and I was about to move to Chicago with my incredible husband, so it seemed right to say goodbye. 
but there are no standards of placenta disposal. So I was left to my own devices. My daughter knew of the placenta's constant presence in the freezer and had grown up right next to Lake Superior. So I texted her, okay, time to release the placenta. What's your favorite beach? She answered me like it was no big thing. And I had a plan, release the placenta into the lake. <laughs> so that's what I set out to do. The placenta and I hopped into the car and we were off to the designated beach. But when I got there, there was a fisherman. I left the placenta in the car to scope out his intentions. Was he about to take off his waders and leave? So I casually strolled the beach, pretending to pick up rocks till I sussed it out. Finally, when we were within 10 feet of each other, I decided to make contact. Beautiful day, huh? Catch anything? No, he said, not yet. Damn, not yet. So we chit-chatted about the lake level, like you do, and he waded back into Lake Superior, Superior to continue to fish. Okay, plan B. I went to a beach just down the road a piece, thinking it would still count as my daughter's favorite beach, only to find the access road lined with cars. Damn. Plan C. Secret beach. My daughter and I had spent some time there, but there was a long path leading to it, so I couldn't really carry this ice cream bucket down there only to find the beach populated. How do I remain inconspicuous with a placenta in a bucket? Okay, plan D was a beach I frequented regularly when I was pregnant. After my daughter was born, she spent many hours there in the kind of carefree nudity only afforded to those under the age of three, picking berries and wading in the feeder stream. We stopped going to that beach for two reasons. One, the feeder stream ran through the old dynamite plant that exploded 50 years ago, and finally the toxins reached it. And two, the lake levels had gone up so much that our small slice of beach by the berry bushes was gone. But this beach held other emotional memories for me too. At the age of 28, when I had my ovaries removed, this was the location of my very hippie, truly pagan ritual that I had with my friends to mark the end of my fertility and release my last moon blood into the lake. Fast forward five years, and I was on my way home from my divorce in the back of my parents' minivan when I requested to stop by this very beach to release my grief into the lake. Both instances were very healing, so I thought, third time's a charm, right? My daughter and I are very close, which is an understatement. From the moment she was born, I knew my heart had left my body and gone into hers, never to return to me. She is the reason I am alive, the person I am most comfortable with in the whole world. She is completely and utterly infallible and the personification of good in the world. So this should have been a very emotional thing, right? Like a very hippie, truly pagan ritual, complete with burned sage and intonations to the directions ought to be, or at least that's what I thought would happen as I drove the eight miles to the beach. So I got there. And there was a woman parked in the lot looking at her phone. Not to be ousted from my final placenta releasing option, I parked and waited. Finally, the other lady on her phone drove away. Part of me wonders if I had waylaid her plans to release something into the lake that day, but I digress. 
So the placenta and I got out of the car. I carried the ice cream bucket to the boat landing and thought about those berry bushes, but couldn't get there because of the lake levels, don't you know? So I went the other way where I had released my last moon blood and my divorce grief. I climbed over the rocks, placenta ice cream bucket in hand until I found the right place. I sat down on a big boulder and opened the ice cream bucket. At this point, I was observing the placenta from two different angles. One, from a purely biological standpoint, admiring and repelled by what I saw. And two, I had grown this thing inside me to keep my baby alive. The last vestige of the connection between my daughter and I. Thought about my daughter out in the world, all on her own. I thought about the moment we walked away from each other on the Amtrak platform as she queued up to go and how I openly ugly cried as I walked past dozens of people to the parking lot. How in this strange reverse relationship, we start out as completely committed to loving a person, knowing that the ultimate goal is that they leave you. How my heart was now off with her, living and seeing and breathing and existing in a world I didn't even know. How connected we were at one point when I grew her inside me, then took her everywhere with me. How many college classes she spent under a desk drawing. How many hours I spent homeschooling her for six and a half years. How much we went through together. She saved me from myself and I saved her from herself in the most absolute ways. These thoughts tumbled around in my mind as I set my intentions for this placenta release. I gazed out at Lake Superior. My eyes drifted to the shoreline across the small bay. It was then that I recognized that there were houses across the bay where people could see me. And rather than looking like a mother ritualizing and grieving the loss of the constant companionship of her child, I looked like a crazy person crying into an ice cream bucket. I thought about all the people I had been evading, the fishermen, the line of cars, the potential sunbathers, the lady parked in the lot on her phone, and I became paranoid. Because, you know, I was about to put what was factually medical waste into the lake. So I abruptly and unceremoniously dumped the placenta in the lake. And to my horror, it floated. And that made me more paranoid because what if someone came to the beach after I was gone and saw it? What if they called the cops thinking something extremely sad and unseemly had just happened? I mean, it was a lone placenta floating in Lake Superior. What the actual fuck? <laughs> so the empty ice cream bucket and I left quickly. We got in the car to drive home. No sooner had I pulled onto the highway when I saw a car turn down towards the beach. Was it one of the homeowners from across the bay? Did they catch my plates? Would they call the cops? Would the cops come and question me later? Then issue me some sort of improper placenta disposal ticket? Maybe I should have waited down with a rock. Then I thought, shit, did I do it wrong? Should I have been more pagan about it all? I mean, where was the incense? Where were the ancient woman songs and intonations of the directions? How had this thing traveled so far with me only have to have met a hasty release? 
I've thought about these questions a lot. I thought about it as I drove by that beach on my move to Chicago with my daughter safely nestled in her new life. And I thought about it as I fell asleep many nights. But now, as I unfold this story, I realize the truth of the situation. Releasing the placenta was like releasing my daughter to the world. There is no right way, no right time, no right feeling. You just do it, drive away, and hope nobody calls the cops. Bravo. Bravo. Thank you. So good, Heather. It was even better when you read it. <laughs> then when I you. when I read it with my eyes, I liked it out loud even better. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I have a couple questions, and I bet that um, Charlotte does too. Or there awesome. might be question comments. So, um, how does one get a placenta when you have the baby at the hospital? Do they give it to you in like a Ziploc bag? Well, you have to request it, uh -huh. and they look at you very oddly and then they find an ice cream bucket from I assume some nurse had to go to the kitchen and be like I got a crazy in room three I need a bucket um but yeah they I took it home it was a chocolate ice cream bucket I was and thinking that you put it into the chocolate ice cream bucket later oh, they gave it to you okay so that's I'm assuming they don't do it very much Probably not. I'm assuming okay. they don't get that request. No, I think if they did it all the time, if they did it all the time, they would have like this special pink or blue or yellow <laughs> container. And then That's they would gross. have a place to write the little kid's new name. Right. No, they okay. would make a thing out of it. Yeah, like no. a liaison no. on staff to help you take it home, right? <laughs> Yes. And that I was telling this to Heather before we started recording that I had a home birth. My first child was born in a hospital and I did not request her placenta and I did not, not get an ice cream bucket. And then my second, I had it home. So I don't remember because I just had a baby, but they did something with it and it was contained somehow and bleeding over there. And I didn't mm -hmm. have to see it. <laughs> and then Bob planted it under the tree. But we didn't, that house was a rental. So we were there about another year. So I don't know what happened to the placenta tree. So I need to, I was saying I should go by and see it or not. I don't have no idea if it's there anymore. Yeah, anyway. placenta yeah. recon, it's time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that this was a thing. Um, having not given birth, I really did not know that it was the release or I guess in Danielle's case, the the burial or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And when my daughter was born, placenta smoothies were all the rage, which I, you know, I'm, I'm just not there with it. I wasn't able to Gross. do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I was thinking some, uh, sometimes when mammals give birth, like uh, dogs and kittens, right? We've all seen mm -hmm. that at home. The mother eats the placenta, right? Oh, sure. Both and I assume there's some good nutrients in there or something. There are a lot of good nutrients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, my friend Ellen is a midwife still, and she um, often is seen with this little capsules like stuck into this thing and then the placenta powder. And then she, you know, it's like making capsules at home and then you sweep it in and then you put the little covers over it. So yeah. all of some of her clients slash all of them, I don't know, want to eat their placenta. So they do it in capsules. Biologically, it makes sense. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nutritional. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now, Danielle, do you have any other questions? Because I, I do, didn't but... know if you go right ahead. Okay. So I was noticing that you were talking about the pagan ceremony, how you felt about it being pagan or it wasn't pagan enough and you didn't have your smudge stick and everything. So I just wanted to tell you in relation to that is that the last two summers I've gone on camping trips on Lake Superior on the Canadian side mm -hmm. and we did all those things. We met with the First Nations people. They're called Michipikaten, but they're um, a subset of Ojibwa and they invited us to their reservation which they call a reserve and we shouted at lake superior and gave her our sorrow yeah. they smudged us they gave us um, medicine bags full of cedar tobacco and sage sweet sweetgrass sweetgrass sweet mm -hmm. so i just was uh, getting kind of excited about your story and how it relates to that lake superior is an ocean it is not yeah. a lake. It is an right. ocean. It's an inland freshwater ocean. So giving whatever you need to it, I'm telling you that lake's going to take care of you. That lake is going to absorb and take and fix it or whatever, or at least absorb from you your, your burden or what you needed to right. give away. Your, right. I don't mean the placenta was your burden, but to give away your, yeah. Right. No, you're absolutely right. It's a very powerful body of water. And that's so cool. You were involved in that. How, what an honor. It was an honor. Was. Yeah. It was an honor. Yeah. I have these really neat, um, well-connected Canadian friends who do kind of cool things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in addition to the lake, we, we usually up there would say her, in addition to her taking care of you, you also have to respect that lake. I mean, that, that lake can turn very quickly and so i have a healthy respect for that lake it's oh me too you thing. should it yeah. kicked our ass it kicked our ass like mm -hmm. it was all calm and then in two hours it's got six foot waves yeah and is it for sure a she the um so the ojibwa call it gichigumi which we've all heard in some childhood thing is it for sure a she heather i i did not take that it was a she from any indigenous culture that okay. was just what you know my small group of friends would say okay that's but fine no no right it's definitely no. gichigumi but i don't know that they gender it might not have any gender i wasn't yeah. guess a second guessing you i was just super curious right right one more <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh one more little story about um remains it's a little different than your live um placenta but when my um, my mother-in-law died and we, she was buried in a cemetery in LA. And when my father-in-law died seven years later, his wishes were to be, um, cremated and put on her grave, which hello is super illegal. You're not supposed yeah. to put cremated remains unless you have like permission to put it in certain places or throw it. I think the Pacific ocean is like fair game. It's rather large. Nothing to right. so right. we. <laughs> So we spread it into the grass super illegally and our hands were all like full of this weird bony weird stuff and the bones are there yes. still so we like shoved them in well it was his wishes I, I we all thought well if we had known we would have said hey you know do something else yeah but anyway so you so know just, I was exactly thinking, sorry. how i felt that's totally it yeah yeah so yeah. just that you know some part of our body whether it's in dying or not dying or living it's like all important stuff like what happens to those things like you know right like right. what happens to your kidneys like, i don't know it's just a weird thing mm -hmm. yeah. yeah agreed 
Okay, this totally reminds me of a story, and I'm going to have to tell it even though it's digressing, but it has to do with remains. My husband's grandmother died, and she had two adult children remaining. They went to take her, her cremated, her cremains, I believe they're called. Wow. Yeah, like kind of like cranberries and cranapple kind of. Craisins. Craisins. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, <laughs> it's one of those new made up words, a neologism <laughs> or whatever. So it's, it's Uncle Al and Aunt Johnny and Aunt Johnny's husband, Uncle Dave. We call him Uncle Dave. And uh, so the three of them set off. They're in upstate New York. Uncle Al is carrying the cremains, and they're in a shoebox, and the shoebox is in a plastic bag that came from, apparently, a shoe store. So Uncle Dave Eisenberg, now this is not his mother, this is his wife's mother, has a really great sense of humor, and he, even though this was a serious occasion, he could not help noticing that the plastic bag from the shoe store was imprinted with the name Lazy Bones. <gasps> and so, <laughs> since there were bones in there, he just, you know, he didn't tell them at that time, but he told the story later. And um, yeah, so I love to tell that story. Okay, Great. digression done, back to the topic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, okay, my question is, what does a 20-something frozen, um, mm -hmm. yeah, what does it look like? I, is it pink? It was red. It Ooh. was still kind of reddish-brownish. Uh-huh. And my placenta had some calcification on it. And so you could still see these kind of white spots. And then you could see where the umbilical cord was attached to the placenta. Now, I had, I had dethawed the placenta before I took it off on this mission, right? Because it's frozen in this bucket. So I wanted it to, you know, gently slide into the lake instead of pounding on the bottom and like chunking this frozen thing. So I defrosted it. And of and course, yeah, the, the umbilical cord was just kind of like flopped there, but still attached. It was, it was bizarre. Yeah. It sounds like a marine creature. You know, I'm just picturing it as a sort of, is it a blob? Is it round? Does it's, it flat like a pancake? I mean, honestly, I have no idea. Right. It's like if a pancake and a jellyfish yes. like got together, that would be what it, it's, it's kind of pancakey, but not really. And it's, it's globby and kind of jiggly, jiggly, gelatinousy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think that you might consider when you make any edits to this fine piece, just including a description, maybe. Now we could discuss the pros and cons of that. I mean, on one hand, the reader is going to imagine something. Right. And I have no direct experience with placentas, so I really just made that up, you know, 
<laughs> that it was going to look reddish and blobby and gelatinous. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I could have easily been wrong. Yeah. It could have had a totally different texture, color, I don't know, size, shape. So at any rate, I, I don't know. What do you think, Danielle? Would you include it? A, even a short sentence that describes it or no? Yeah, perhaps because I suppose some people don't know what that looks like. I had my idea of what it looks like because I think I must have seen mine before Bob buried it. So I think I had this idea of what it looked like and the color, but you know, yeah. It's just a thought. I mean, there's a lot of sensory details around it. Um, also kind of, I wondered how heavy was it? You know, was it just kind of a light thing? Did it, did it really need to be in something that large? Absolutely uh, not. And yeah, because yeah, that seemed like a little like overkill. <laughs> yeah, like, it was. Much. It was. Okay. It took up a lot of space in many freezers, but that yeah. is great feedback. And that's, please, if you think of any more, let me know. Listeners, Listeners. if you have any feedback for me, I would absolutely welcome it. Right, we'll, put, we'll put your uh, your email address if you want to on the little podcast information if you want people to write you is that too much that would be awesome yes okay please. cool all right and also heather and and charlotte we're going to take a little time out so hold okay, on we'll one take second. a break take a break all right And we're back. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. We are still talking with Heather, and we just had a few more questions for her. Um, one question I wanted to ask had to do with your involvement in theater. You mentioned that you're a performer. You mm-hmm. want to tell us a little bit about that? I would love to. So I started, I started my involvement with theater in high school. Um, I went to a really small school and you were either a a jock or a nerd. And I was heartily fell on the nerd side and nerds did theater. And it was, it was a blast. All all of us theater nerds just had a really good time. We did a lot of shows, two shows a year. And then when I went to college, I directed a show. I directed Godspell, one of my favorite all time musicals. Love it. And then there's a little community theater in Washburn, Wisconsin. It's um, produced by a group called the Groundlings, which is a nonprofit. And they host, Stage North is the theater that hosts the Groundlings productions. So back in 2008, 2009, um, I started performing in, in plays there and then I got my big break as a director there with uh, my breakout sound of music was my first thing I directed there we had 70 plus people involved in a pit orchestra and the whole nine yards I also directed Annie because you know I am crazy and I wanted to work with 20 small children (laughs) Um, but I performed or directed or stage managed or I would do anything I did hair and makeup until I moved away last year so that was definitely a second home for me Um, that's also where I met my husband Um, he was involved in the theater back in Minneapolis and he moved up to northern Wisconsin and on a lark saw a poster for auditions for a Shakespeare show 
and that's where I met him. Actually, he and my daughter were friends before I was friends with him. It was during a show called Painting Churches, and I was on stage, and Ayla and Chris were in the backstage crew together, and they just hit it off. They got along so well. And so, you know, a year or two later, when we started dating, she was thrilled. And she always reminds me that he was my friend first. <laughs> she, was a, <laughs> she was an inadvertent uh, matchmaker. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that was just fed my soul for years and years and got me through a lot of, a lot of hard times. Um, I'm looking for a theater home in Chicago. Now I'm a little tiny fish in a big pond. So mm. I'm still kind of checking out local theaters and seeing who will have me <laughs> to do anything. I'll, I'll do whatever, anything. So we'll see. Stay tuned. Yeah, that's, that is quite a jump. It is. It is. Yes. Oh, my final question. I wanted to circle back and say, what else are you writing? Are you writing other things besides Placenta I, Abruptus? Yes, I am. And the other piece I started working on, but as a writer, Sharla, you understand this. I'm stuck. I have this awesome, what I think is an awesome introduction. The story is called My Gallbladder and Me. And it's the story of the lowest point in my life that actually, so I was in the hospital for a week. This was after my, my ex-husband had left me and I was very, very ill and in the hospital for a week. They didn't know what was wrong with me. My parents came up, you know, it was this big production, tests and tests. But through all of this, my parents were amazing people. We found reasons to laugh at everything. And I took notes at the time. Like we were talking about, you know, the, the things they put in the commode that they wheel around, they call them hats. And so, you know, we would put the hat on our heads and, you know, we were like, oh, we'll choreograph dances with the commode hats. And we had all these codes for different doctors. And um, it was a very funny story, but it was also, like I said, the darkest of my dark times. So it's kind of this balance. And I have a solid intro, but I'm stuck. It mm. sounds great, that, that layering of the dark and the light. Yes, and that's what I'm trying to capture. I'll, Mary Carol Moore is coming back to the ranch this winter um, and bringing some of her students. And there's still space in the class, Shyla. I know. So How I would love to join you. Yes. Oh, that would be great. But maybe I'll, I'll glean some inspiration from those writers on, on how to proceed. Well, Danielle's a writer also. <gasps> oh, there we yeah, go. I'm a writer also. I'm really writing? stuck. I'm really stuck right now too, but there's like gotta be some way to shake it off, like throw it out and then try to write what you just wrote or I don't oh, know, no, hide it from yourself. Yes. What's, what's the problem, girls? Let's do a little uh, intervention here. Is it you just can't sit down to write. You write it and you're not happy with it. It's the, I write it and I'm not happy with it. Mm. Or, well, I shouldn't say that. It's actually, I write it, I've got the introduction. I don't know how to segue into the body. 
Does that make sense? Into the body, into the gallbladder? the body of the story. Oh, I've the body of the story. story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the body that houses your gallbladder. My own body. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So that's, that's my problem. Well, you can certainly send it to us and we will give you free advice. Great. Yeah, but I'll give you this free advice right now. Um, sit down, time yourself for 10 minutes and write yes. everything except about the gallbladder. Right? Write all okay. the stuff. It has nothing to do with the gallbladder. <laughs> and then put another one on for 10 minutes and see what comes out. I'm serious. Like the weirdest things happen when you just have to... Like, you know how a lot of writers write daily paid morning pages where they mm -hmm. journal in the morning all this yeah. garbage so that sure. then when they write for something real later that it comes out better. Oh, that's interesting. I will try that. Thank you. See, that really is good advice. I mean, timed writing is always great. Yeah. When you're struggling to say something, when you uh, have the timer set, then it just forces you to... Um, not try to edit it as you go, yeah. not critique it. You just write whatever you can as fast as you can for 10 minutes or so. Yeah, that's interesting. So with placentas abruptus, I was laying in my bed one night just thinking about this placenta thing and thinking about all of that. And I could not sleep. And that's when it hit me, the holding on to things for too long and I came up with this you know my shoes that I've had for 25 years that I still have by the way and I got up from bed at 3 a.m and marched out to the dining room and wrote that story in one sitting and it's gone through revision since then but it was like that spontaneous inspiration and I guess part of me is like where where is that now come on Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I think that as writers, we have to realize sometimes it will be like that. And sometimes it won't. And it doesn't actually matter. I mean, it's certainly more pleasant when you have that feeling mm -hmm. of flow. It's, it's more pleasurable. But at the end of the day, when you look at what you've written, I've written things that, that read great and they were so boring to write or painful that I thought, oh, this is shit. But then I read it later, it was great. So, interesting. you know, when you search for that experience, it's not, you're not always gonna have that experience. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're right. And I need to sit in on more Mary Carol Moore workshops from Misa. <laughs> she, she knows a lot about process yes. and, and, and ways to get to the topic and around the topic you know, like writing something and then looking at it and saying, hmm, what is interesting in here? It's this one sentence, pulling that out and then going from there and doing it all over again a couple mm -hmm. of times mm -hmm. where you kind of just keep tapping into your unconscious. Yeah. I think that's also really important. Don't try too hard. Let your unconscious do all the work. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Oh, Thank we have you. so many. Oh, we have so oh, just many. Oh, enlighten me please and we're just and we're gonna just keep talking forever because our show is called shut the fuck up we're not done talking yet yes. as you know so I, I you said a moment ago in the break heather that you wanted to tell us a story about your mother which was inspired by our mom show where we told ridiculous things that our mothers have done yes 
Well, I find that when I listen to your podcast, which I do when I'm dog walking or, you know, driving a minivan full of sewing machines, 27 hours to Tucson and have time to binge listen. And I love them all. And they all make me want to tell you guys something like the, you know, the Canada show was awesome. The tattoo one I was all over, but especially the mom stories, your moms sound hilarious and I loved all of the stories and it made me think of my mom so my mom and dad are just amazing people I'm so grateful for having the parents that I have and when I was growing up my parents were really into primitive survival skills so we they would go to this primitive survival skills school in New Jersey of all places and learn things like, you know, building shelters and tracking and making fire and making cordage and identifying plants. And we were all into it. Like it was a family affair. They taught my sister and I, and we would do presentations to Boy Scout groups and schools. And it was like, it was our thing. So my mom decided one day that she, <laughs> she made, a necklace out of deer poop. And so what she did, she went out into the woods and hand selected, like walked around for a while and hand selected deer poop droppings. And she had to make sure they looked nice. You know, they have to be not just any pieces of shit, but the prettiest pieces of shit ever. So she brought them home. And she put them on a cookie sheet and put them in the oven <laughs> to dry them. And then there was another selection process where some, you know, just didn't turn out right or whatever. So then she strung them on fishing line and made a necklace out of it and shellacked those suckers. So it was like this shiny black beads. But of course, it's not a smooth surface. It's poop. So it was this rough surface. One of our favorite things to do with the deer poop necklace was whenever I had a new boyfriend when I was in high school, this was the deer poop necklace text. Mm -hmm. So he would come over and he would meet my parents and my mom would say, oh, I have to show you something. And she would get the deer poop necklace and she'd say, hold out your hand. And the guy would hold out his hand and she just put the necklace right in his hand. And she would say, do you know what that is? And some of them did, and some of them didn't. And if they dropped it and backed away and got grossed out, out of here. Nope. Sorry, buddy. You are not dating material. You have to pass the deer poop necklace test. So that's that's my mom. You know what? That is so eccentric <laughs> that I feel like she's beating out Carol and Marcy. That is super weird. Oh, she just... Yeah. Took number one in crazy mom stories. Listen, oh, yeah. we, you know, we have this capacity <laughs> on our, is it on our Facebook page or is it part of the, um, the podcast where our listeners can call in and leave messages, right? Ooh, yeah. yeah, they have to actually listen on Anchor. They have to listen on anchor.fm and then you can leave us a message, but also in the, what's it called? Yeah. Oh, you mean because you want people to call in mom stories? That was my thinking. And maybe what we should do, let's have them do it on our Facebook page, right? Couldn't you, let me think, do a live 
Oh, you do a live thing, a live Facebook. Yeah. Post. Oh, yeah. Like, and then it gets stored. It gets recorded and stored. Yeah. And you, right. you can be the first. Ooh, I can think of a couple more. I'll do okay. that. Absolutely. Because she was also a belly dancer. Then there's the whole story there too. So was so my mom. She wasn't particularly good at it. Oh, wow. So did you grow up doing the exercises along with her? No, because by the time she did it, I just wouldn't deal with her. It was more like when I was 12 or older and I'm oh, like, right, yeah. Right. But when I was, if I'd been really little, I would have. Mm -hmm. taking her seriously in her effort and her dance effort it wasn't very good like she just used to flick her hip at me like <laughs> flick flick <laughs> oh mom knock it off Oy. oh gosh well okay that we will definitely get that up there get that going okay we'll get that up there and we'll remind we'll remind heather to record her story um awesome. by a little facebook video if she doesn't mind yeah Absolutely. heather Yes. Heather, do you have any interest in putting up the text of your story? Absolutely. Something of yes. that ilk? Yes, I would love to. All right, we'll let you do that. You know, just post okay. it as a PDF or a Word file or whatever. Okay. I think Thank you will have you. the. Um, I think you'll have the ability to do that. I doubt seriously we have very many privacy settings <laughs> <laughs> on that Facebook page. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thank you for ahead. that opportunity. That's really, that's very generous. Thank you. Well, Maybe listen. the moth will see it and they'll be like, <gasps> come on, be on stage. That's what I'm thinking. If you, the moth is listening. You have to get on moth. Just keep, keep working on it. That's uh, that was great. Great awesome. piece, Heather. Thank you so much. I appreciate All right. you having me. Well, I think we should wrap it up. Okie dokie. And uh, thanks again, Heather. It's an absolute pleasure to meet you and talk with you. So we'll be in touch and do another show with you soon. We can just, like I said, we could talk all day. Absolutely. About whatever. You're very easy to talk to. Oh, well, thank you. You are too. I really had a great time. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. It was great to hear you and see you in person. Yes. Have fun at Misa. Oh, this always winter. do. Always. Yep. All right. Good to see you. Sometime. Okay. Someday soon. Someday right. soon. Thanks, Heather. All right. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can get more information about it on facebook.com backslash Sharla Danielle podcast.